0: kick is live it is tuesday night january 24th year of our lord 2023 the most blasphemous sabin kirby comparison to date moments from tonight i will get worked up on the show tonight i will be emotional probably lose my cool and say things i'll have to apologize for but it just got to me today we are jam-packed high atop and active downtown nashville tennessee so we got the sabin kirby thing and it's a thing trust me or i wouldn't be leading the show with it we've got job approval ratings we have gotten like 12 to 15 coaches deep um i can confirm that we've gotten feedback from some coaches constructive feedback it's just a simple disagreement on the job rating so far but here's the thing about the job approval ratings Uh, it's fluid it could change tomorrow i'm of the opinion dabo Swinney's job approval has gone up in the last two weeks and clemson hasn't played a game in the last two weeks so with that in mind we have four more coaches on the clock tonight We opened the mailbag up, I'm taking a few of your questions, and someone asked a question that, quite frankly, you shouldn't have had to ask, because we should have already covered it on the show since the season ended. I don't think any of us around here are great big fans of the current state of officiating in our sport. And a lot of us disagree on the playoff and all this other stuff, but there's, there's pretty consensus across the board agreement no one's really happy with it right now some people think we need to nationalize officiating hey i I can keep the officiating conference patches on the sleeve just make them available at the end of the game you know like make them actually accountable for the calls they make anyway i have some thoughts on that more so than i just shared with you uh we have five elite teams or at least teams that could be on the precipice of becoming elite teams that are in the conversation they have the right stuff And they can, they're they're in the valley and they can see the mountaintop. They still got to make the climb. They're watching us in Woodstock, Georgia tonight, Worcester, Ohio, Blacksburg, Virginia, Austin, Texas, a couple of college towns there. Hey, make sure this is just a garden variety reminder, but I should act like something is imminent and it would make you do it more quickly. Just make sure you're following me on the socials at Lake Kick Josh. A lot of fun that's had there that doesn't happen on the show because well, for obvious reasons, it can't happen on the show. It's, it's the Twitters, it's the Instagrams of the world. And with that in mind, deep breaths, let's dive into the show. You know what, this is the earliest sip from the chalice I will ever take. A Pate state chalice of supremacy that many of you are peer pressuring me to make available on the open market. And I'm just not there yet. I, I don't think we should sell them because then they lose their value. You can only win these things you cannot purchase them. And by the way, there's a fresh shipment going out. We had them on back order. So if you're still waiting on a chalice, don't worry, I didn't forget about you. Unless I did, in which case, you may want to DM me your address again. Okay, I I used the word blasphemy to open the show. Not a word we use on this program very often because we're not savages. We're not Brandon Walker. Rarely are we blasphemous. But one of you asked a blasphemous question today. And I want Director Colin to put that question up. And if you're listening on podcast, I'm just going to hit you with it. And this may not mean to you what it means to me, but trust me, it means enough for both of us when it comes to how much it means to me. Colin, here's your end point. Craig hit us up today. We were minding our own business here on this January 24th, and Craig decided to throw the entire show into a blender. He said, Is Nick Saban Fleetwood Mac 1975, whereas Kirby Smart could be like Rumors 1977? Both incredible albums but we only know one was more amazing than the other with the benefit of hindsight that is Craig from Chambly Georgia some of you are new to the program you don't know how to push my buttons Uh, others have been around for a while and you know I'm not easily shaken but there are some things you can do and this is one of them you inject Fleetwood Mac A band that was my favorite growing up, even though a vast majority, in fact, I think all of their catalog had already been recorded and released before I was born. Didn't matter. Young JP knew good music, and so I'm a child of the 90s, but I love 70s music. We have a very spirited debate on our hands in college football right now, and you've heard it just as well as I have. We just watched Kirby Smart and Georgia win their second consecutive national championship, and naturally... People can't even let the confetti fall to the ground before they say, is he the greatest now? Not of all time. No one's really saying, not even Georgia fans are saying that, but they're asking, has he surpassed and supplanted Nick Saban? Jesse, look up the difference in those words for me, by the way. I think they're interchangeable. Has Kirby Smart overtaken the throne? You know, is Nick Saban in the on-deck circle right now? Is Kirby Smart in the batter's box? Now, this is largely for us. Coaches don't really talk like this. Now, they do care about being number one, but they don't necessarily... View it within the same context as everyone else, but that's okay. God made January for conversations like this. But friends, when we look at the question Craig asked, that's not comparing these coaches here and now. That's comparing entire bodies of work. And that's comparing heads up without the context of one's been around for several decades and one has been around for, what, six or seven years now. Craig didn't allow us to do that. Craig's just asking for a heads up debate on who the greatest of all time is And um, I want to be really careful here, as I I was telling both Collins, because yes, there is a second that wanders around here. Uh, Producer Jesse's in there, Bradley's wandering around somewhere, said, I want to be careful because if I'm not careful, this can sound really disrespectful to Georgia and Kirby Smart, and this is the last thing I want to do because they they have uh, maybe the best program in America at this very moment, pro wrestling metaphor coming later. But... There's this thing sometimes that um, I'm trying to be careful not to fall in the trap of, and that is appreciating the here and now while also appreciating longevity. Because my point is it's impossible to make the comparison. Um, this is no disrespect to Kirby Smart. What you're asking, you're asking, is Kirby Smart actually the Rumors album? Is he the, actually the greatest of all time? It's impossible for him to be that when you're comparing him to the guy who actually is The greatest of all time the guy who had a lot to do with kirby smart eventually becoming the head coach at georgia by the way it's impossible it's not disrespectful it's impossible when you ask me to compare one to the other you're talking about now at least in my mind's eye the greatest album ever released in any genre of music and you can have your opinion on that but when you look at nick saban's resume and then you're asking someone who's been at it less than a decade to compare it to it's not even a fair question you want to look at rumors, and you want to compare it to Nick Saban. Nick Saban's got 189 wins at Alabama. That's your dreams. He's got what's he got? Six national titles just at Bama. That's the chain. You know, he's got eight. Na- he's got eight SEC titles just at Alabama. Gold Dust Woman, by the way, 41 first round picks. Remember, he's got several more first round picks than total losses at Alabama. Go your own way. Number one classes sitting there at 10 of them. That's your Rhiannon. and versus Kirby, by the way. Kirby only just got his first win against Saban last year. That was the second go-around in a season. That's your little lies. Top five classes. He's had one every year that he's been there. Gypsy. Uh, My point here is that if you want to make Kirby smart rumors, go ahead. It's not even a fair comparison. Saban's not the 1975 album. Saban's the greatest hits album. Saban's the entire compilation of all the albums because he's been doing this longer than... Quite frankly, some of you who ask questions have been alive, and that's the benefit of longevity. That's the benefit when you're great and you can sustain greatness, you get to do it over a long period of time. Kirby Smart's doing it as good as you can possibly do it right now. As good as you can possibly do it. There is no detraction I could possibly issue towards that guy. Why in the world would I? That'd be stupid. He's still got a long way to go. And if I were to coax him to come up here to Nashville, Tennessee, and we were to take the unprecedented measure of adding another seat over here, in which case we would have to relight the studio, he would sit there and not even let me finish this sentence before he said, yeah, yeah, you're right, duh. I mean, who, who in the world suggesting otherwise? He knows that. You, you know what else guys in his profession also appreciate? They appreciate the fact that the sport has changed because of this guy down here on the left. We've seen several aspects of the sport change because of Nick Saban. Because he's been around that long and done it at this high a level for that long. You know, they're sitting here right now, by the way, with no coordinators and got the number one recruiting class in the country by a mile. Now, some of you came at me today when I made that point on Twitter and said, well, that doesn't matter. Coordinators don't recruit. Coordinators don't have a lot to do with that. Well, at Alabama, you're right. They don't. And at a lot of the power programs, you're right, they don't. My point there is just that. The machine continues to operate despite the fact that you've had staff upheaval. You know what you got to do before you ever get in a conversation with Nick Saban, which next to Kirby, no one in the sport is remotely close to doing, by the way. You got to have a dozen coordinators come and go and maintain that level of success. You got to have half a dozen quarterbacks come and go and maintain that success you got to send first rounders to the draft and this is a real story here every year since 09 Saban and Bama have had at least one first rounder you got to do that stuff for over a decade and still be right there there's not been a season guys since 08 there hasn't been a season where they haven't finished inside the top 10 they've been ranked number one at some point in the AP poll every season since 08 starting in 08 basically they had a six-loss season his first year there and then every year since then they they've either won the title or the title's gone through them that's longevity so it's no disrespect to Kirby Smart he just has no business in this conversation uh, because he'd have to be 60 years old to have business in this conversation now here's the fun part because we're looking at b-roll of Nick Saban but then there's some b-roll of Kirby Smart see the fun part is when you think about what Kirby Smart's capable of you know Kirby Smart's in his late 40s right now. Nick Saban is in his early 70s. So Nick Saban's run had not even started at Bama when he was Kirby Smart's age. That is what's fun for a Georgia Bulldog fan. Now, as soon as I say that, And I think the world of Kirby Smart and I think the world of that Georgia program, it is the hardest thing in the world to do. You know, When you take that quarter and you thump it on the table and it starts spinning real fast, it looks like it's never going to stop. There could be a little grain of sand on the table that could stop it in its tracks. There are a million and one different things in this sport and there are a million and one different things out there in life that can disrupt what looks like an unstoppable machine. And you sometimes don't see them coming because sometimes they don't appear on the radar screen until you're successful. Sometimes you got to get to the mountaintop to realize, oh, there's just this new set of consequences up here, consequences of success. We talk about it on the show all the time. There's this, this new batch of problems that I only have put in my lap once I'm a winner. When I was going eight and four, I didn't have to worry about this stuff. There's always a batch of problems. It wasn't that long ago. I hesitate to use this comparison, but I'll do it anyway. It's a lazy one, so please take it for what it's worth. It wasn't that long ago that we were coming home from Santa Clara, California, and it was after the 2018 National Championship game, and Clemson had just drugged Bama, and it was the second championship they had won against Bama in three years. You had a head coach in Dabo Swinney that had two championship wins over Nick Saban, and you remember what happened? Just as well as I do, I remember the conversation. I remember. It wasn't even so much a question. It was more a statement. And how dare you disagree with the fact that Dabo Swinney has supplanted Nick Saban. And it's Clemson's world, and it's Dabo Swinney's world. Remember what the follow-up was? Who's going to stop him? Clemson has such an easy path every year. So they're just going to rattle him off. He's got two right now. It went LeBron mode, not three, not four, not five, not six. They hadn't won another one since. What happened? The answer is nothing happened really. Clemson's program didn't fall off a cliff. They're still really good. They haven't had the classic down year yet. They're down years. They're still winning 10 games. They've been in double-digit win territory every year, even since then. But do you talk about Debo Swinney like that anymore? When's the last time you heard someone talk about Clemson like that? What happened? Uh, Well, the sport didn't sit still and just allow you to beat on it. And you may look at the SEC East right now and think, oh man, outside of maybe Tennessee, who's going to pop up and challenge Georgia? There are things internally that could pop up and challenge Georgia, just like they've done at Bama. There's a reason. Nick Saban's sitting there without an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator right now. They weren't good enough. And guess who hired him? Nick Saban did. And we roundly praise that guy, I do too, as the best of all time. He's not even perfect. Even he can make some mistakes. Even he has errors in judgment. Kirby Smart will too. You know, who knows? Todd Munkin, he may be there five years. He may move on. Schumann may be there five years. He may move on. The better you are, the more likely they are outside to poach your folks. And those are just assistant coaches whose names you know. You don't even know the army of off-field analysts and player personnel types and all the way down to the recruiting departments, graphic and design. You're the one everyone looks at now. And so my point there is, oh, it's fun. Trust me, I'll participate in it with you. When you project how long Kirby Smart could be at this thing, if he never goes to the NFL, he's not going to another college football program. So it's Georgia. As far as college football is concerned, it's Georgia. And how long that guy could be around and, and how relatively obstacle-free that path looks right now. I know how it looks, guys. I know how it looks. Producer Jesse walked in today and he said, hey, this is, this is WrestleMania 6. And surprisingly, I knew where he was going with this. Hogan Ultimate Warrior, WrestleMania 6. That was the crowning moment. That was supposed to be the passing of the torch. Warrior sprints down to the ring. You got that iconic grab the top rope and shake it. He's got the face paint on. He's going crazy. It's the Sky Dome. It's sold out in Toronto. And Hogan drops the belt. And maybe Hogan's going to move on. And it's going to be Ultimate Warrior's time. And that was WrestleMania 6. Uh, WrestleMania Seven main event Hulk Hogan. WrestleMania Eight main event Hulk Hogan. WrestleMania Nine main event Hulk Hogan. Guess who wasn't in any of those main events? So my point there is, if it if it happens in wrestling, surely that is seamlessly analogous to regular everyday life and college football. Things aren't always as obstacle free and and set in stone as they appear. That's my only point. And so I'm I share your opinion. I'm certainly not sitting here saying. Uh, the, the, Georgia, eh, they've probably peaked. You know, I, I doubt that it's just going to be easy to rattle off back-to-back national championships anytime they feel like it, but th- they can operate at the same level they've been operating at and not win another championship the next five years, guys. Because the margins, even over the past two years, have been razor thin. Think about that Ohio State game. Th- think about playing a healthy Alabama in the national championship game last year. You won the games. I'm not sitting here making excuses for anyone. I'm simply trying to illustrate, when Bama's made their run, you go back, not even just during the games themselves, go back in the regular season. Go back to conference title games. I mean, these two programs faced off in Atlanta in 2012. And I I argue, if Georgia gets one more play, they may score a touchdown, beat Bama. Either one of them was going to go splatter Notre Dame in Miami. Mark Richt could have gone on a run. That would have taken one of Saban's titles. Who knows what kind of detrimental impact it would have had on the, the trajectory of the program. 2011, Bama, man, greatest defense Nick Saban's ever had. They, they, all, they didn't even control their own destiny to play for the title that year. Uh, 2009, Colt McCoy gets hurt in the first quarter of the title game. No one remembers the margins. Everyone just remembers these impenetrable, unstoppable forces. That's not the way the sport works. That's not the way it's worked for Saban and Bama. They have had to fight and bear crawl over broken glass, even with all this talent, even with that army of the best coaches in America, led by the best of all time, they hadn't had it easy. George is not going to have it easy. So this started with Fleetwood Mac. It dovetailed into WrestleMania six, seven, eight, nine. 7, uh, But it's going to end with this. I really wish they played more often in the regular season. I'll say that. Um, in, in, in some... some very, very convoluted quest to um, deny their fans what they want to see. Georgia and Bama rarely play in the regular season. Didn't get to see them in Atlanta this year. So, who knows, maybe with this new schedule that is rumored, maybe with this 16-team super conference we have coming up, 2014 or 2024, 2025, who knows, maybe we'll get to see it more. So, there was an over-under, I know, in the building on how long that segment was going to go. Um, The under probably still hit because it was only 18 minutes. Academy Sports and Outdoors is something I need to talk to you about for just a second. You want to talk about rumors. It's no rumor. It's just a stone cold fact. That's the greatest company in the world. Because that company makes this company able to give you this show for free. No one has to pay for anything. Well, someone does. It's just you don't have to worry about it. So the bill never arrives in your mailbox because Academy Sports and Outdoors looked at Late Kick. And they said, hey, I bet those folks have a lot in common with the folks that come in our doors every single day. And you know what? They were right. And you have done so. In spectacular fashion, you have done so. I had one of you the other day um, where you were doing military exercises. And you guys needed a fresh batch of knee pads for the entire battalion there. And guess where you went? Academy Sports and Outdoors. I get these messages every day. I could do an entire separate show of just doing viewer and listener testimonials on going to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, it's because you appreciate it, and you should, because I do, because it would really suck if we did all this work, but then we said, hey, give us $4.99 a month and you can access it. We are blessed not to have to live in the paywall world because in part of Academy Sports and Outdoors. So it's great if you can go there, but if you can, academy.com is somewhere you can go. And it's, it's not just a company where you're going and buying out of the kindness of your heart this is wall-to-wall a lot of the stuff that you use in everyday life. And if you don't believe me, go to the website or go there tomorrow morning. Take a, take a nice lunch break and go over there, and you'll see. Thank you, Academy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, This this segment that we're doing, this series, if you will, on on job approval ratings, it's gotten contentious. I got to be real with you. In a fun way. It's gotten contentious because a lot of coaches watch the show, which I appreciate uh, because it it helps us because a lot of them, not just head coaches, but a lot of the, especially a lot of the coordinators and position coaches who watch the show, they're really, really quick to correct us when we miss on something, you know, like factually, or we don't provide proper context. And you would not believe this, but when it comes to grading coaches, some coaches think that we've been missing some context jesse can you believe that that falls on him i'm just the messenger you know in in cases like that i take that part in my contract that says executive producer and i have it written in pencil so i'm not going to erase it really quick and i say well jesse's the producer of the show It's not me i am i'm just a middleman you wouldn't arrest a guy for delivering drugs from one person to another would you It's an office quote, by the way, for those of you who missed it last time. That's an office quote. That's not me. Job approval numbers, part five tonight. I promised you this this morning, and I am delivering it tonight. We are starting in Norman, Oklahoma, because there have been some harsh allegations out there that we have been sort of of flying over Oklahoma. We haven't been talking about the Sooners enough. And I did some investigation, and it turns out you're right. We have not talked about Oklahoma enough. Uh, this, this is a tough one. We give letter grades on this. Brent Venables, of course, one year in, we, I like to grade on a curve. Like I like to give a new guy the benefit of the doubt. But I also have a very mouthy staff here, minus Director Colin, who just minded his own business today. And they wanted me to go really low on Brent and Venables. And there's reason for that. I get it. You're looking at the resume there. If you're listening on podcast, let me remind you of the horror that unfolded in Norman. This was the first time this program was under six wins since 1998. 98! Great year for a lot of things. Um, It's not a great comparative year when you're going back that far to look at what Oklahoma just duplicated in the year of our Lord, 2022. But when Brent Venables got hired, I'm building up to the letter grade. I'm, I'm kind of stalling, but I'm building up to the letter grade. When he got hired, I didn't necessarily think that they were going to push for a playoff spot, but what is he known for? Brent Venables is a defensive guy, defensive mastermind. I say that kind of mockingly, but I actually agree with it. The guy had great defenses at Clemson. Uh, we also know he had personnel at Clemson better than what he inherited, but I thought to myself, Dylan Gabriel transferred in at quarterback, uh, but you know they're going to be really relying on him. But just outside of offense, I said to you in the summer, and I believed it, one area I am pretty sure they're going to improve in is out with Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, in with Brent Venables. At the very least, they're going to improve defensively, right? Certainly, that guy's identity, that guy's thumbprint, will be seen statistically in the defensive profile this year. Nope. Quite the opposite. Last year, points per game. Oklahoma was 58th in the country. It's not good. Uh, But they were 98th this year, and that's just flat-out bad. Brent Venables is getting a C- for his, I guess, debut season. We're not really grading the season. just so happens he's only got one under his belt. Now, if you were to do this in year four, you would be getting an F. So you may say, ooh, that's a little harsh. No, C- isn't harsh. C-minus is taking into account this guy is a first-year head coach. I happen to look at their recruiting and say, well, there's some, there's some cause for not celebration because that doesn't mean anything, but excitement at least. Um, I, I certainly think that it was an untenable position. He was put in a really uh, surprisingly difficult position because of the amount of talent that left when Lincoln Riley did. But yet, when we were looking at preseason odds, It's almost like America watched all those good players walk out and say, it doesn't matter. Oklahoma will just win because they're Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma doesn't win just because they're Oklahoma. They're Oklahoma because they've had good football players for a long time, and they didn't have enough of them this year. Like, that's the long and short of it. They have to get more good football players. And that is why I keep looking at recruiting and keep looking at the transfer portal, and that's a familiar theme. We're going to talk about... Uh, one, two, three. We're going to talk about three first-year guys in this segment tonight. So Brent Venable, C-minus. I'm going to be pretty interested, especially from Oklahoma fans, to see if you agree, because surprisingly, some of you have been more harsh on your own head coach than I have. And I get it. It's not fun. It's not fun getting blanked by Sark and, and not necessarily a vintage Texas team at three-game losing streak. They also hadn't had one of those this millennium, so that wasn't fun either. Oh boy, this next one. I should have put it fourth, but I put it second. We do have to do Sam Pittman tonight. I've pushed this as far down the road as I can. So they won nine games last year. They just went seven and six. And a lot of people are selling on Arkansas. We talked the other night about how many players have left the program. They've had several coaches move on. We call that churn in the industry. It's not necessarily a football industry term, but you get it. Uh, I'm I'm going to be disagreed with here, but I'm giving Sam Pittman a B. A little bit of a homer. Yes, I am. But I am going to tell you, or I'm going to ask you, rather, to remember who we're talking about here. This is not Sam Pittman, head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes where it is their birthright to win double digits per year. That's not, that's not the floor in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Getting a lot of snow tonight, by the way. Bundle up out there in northwest Arkansas. I'm giving Sam Pittman a B because I think that I'm pretty well in line with what the historic expectation at Arkansas should be. And they exceeded it last year, and that built up a great big hype balloon, sadly. Some people on this show contributed to it, and I don't want to name names, just certain voices on this solo-hosted show, I hope I'm being pretty clear, contributed to that. And they won seven games this year. Okay, so let's, let's just put on the table what happened. They won seven games. Uh, they had quarterback injury. Uh, they had internal issues. This is excuse-making, so bear with me. They had probably the toughest schedule in the country. My point there, as Colin Roll's B-roll of the a and Arkansas game, is this. My point is, if you tell me preseason, with the schedule they're going to play, they're going to have K.J. Jefferson go down to injury. They're going to lose a bunch of their defensive players really early in the year. Uh, they're, they're playing that schedule, like I said. And also, they're going to have not the best internal dynamic. You know what I would have thought? I would have thought they're going to miss a bowl game. I would have thought Arkansas was going to be Texas A&M this year. I thought Arkansas, under those circumstances, was going to be the team that, that missed bowl season altogether. And somehow they lost to A&M, speaking of the Aggies, and yet still pulled the nose up enough to make a bowl game. Um, yes, those are excuses, okay? Because the bottom line is, whatever dynamic existed there, it ultimately falls in the lap of the head coach, who is Sam Pittman, whose job approval rating we are dishing out tonight. And uh, yes, I mean it's it's up to him to to be able to replenish a roster and to have enough depth, and that's that's all well and good. Look, that sounds great. This is the University of Arkansas. So up until about five minutes ago, no one would have looked at this program and held it to that standard. They became a prisoner of that standard. They became a prisoner of 2021's results in 2022, uh, because the fact is. Up until this year, no one ever looked at Arkansas winning seven games, especially with that schedule, and would have said, oh, that's a failure. You wouldn't have, and now you do. So I have to kind of give praise to Sam Pittman because he did elevate the expectation. The problem is they failed to meet it. I am not, however, going to bump him down into the C range over one season. If they stack a bunch of seven-win seasons on top of each other, then I will do that. But I happen to think that 2023 is going to be a better year for them in 2022. This isn't a prediction segment. I'm just saying the head coach at Arkansas is getting more than than one seven win season before I pull the plug on him. Let's go to Miami. This one's really difficult. This is hard. Mario Cristobal. We got to be real about some things. We got to be real about the fact that in no year, under no rebuild project, can you be getting beat 45 to 31 at home by Middle Tennessee State? You can't be losing 45-21 to first year head coach Mike Elko and Duke. You inherited Miami. He inherited Duke and beat you. He he more than doubled you up. You can't be getting beat 45 to 3 to Florida State. You can't do that in any year. And I know that he Mario Cristobal didn't inherit the best of situations down there. And I have spoken many times, and I will speak at least one more tonight, about my vision for where I think he'll take that program, but we don't get to grade tonight based on where we think they're going. We're just stuck with where they are right now. So I gave Mario Cristobal C+, and a lot of you are going to think that's way too high. The staff did. But my reason for this is, uh, like I said, with Brent Venables, we grade first-year head coaches on a curve. I'm about to do it with Kalen DeBoer, although I don't need to because he did everything right, regardless of whether he's a veteran or not. Uh, But also... I happen to believe that probably the situation down there was a little bit worse off than it looked on the surface. And I also think that this was one of those situations. It's not always like this, but sometimes it is like this, where in order to push the right long-term buttons, they had to go backwards in year one. It, It was just necessary. Now, what I ultimately expect because of the way they're acquiring talent and the talent they're acquiring and... Let me pause for effect. Some staff moves still to come that I don't think have happened yet. I think they'll be fine. Like this year, this upcoming year, I think they'll be fine. So if I were doing a projection segment tonight, I wouldn't necessarily have Cristobal in the, in the C-plus category. But we're not, we're not doing that tonight. So I have to have him in the C-plus category. Because like I said, you should be good enough even on the fly to handle Middle Tennessee and Duke at home. You, you should be good enough to do that regardless. There is never an excuse for that in Miami. So I can't do anything better than a C-plus there. Now to go to the great Pacific Northwest and talk about Kalen DeBoer. Mm, mm-mm. The highest we can go is A-plus. So if I could go A-plus-plus, plus, I'd do it, but this isn't one of those schools like Bradley went to where they inflate your GPA like 4.5, 5.0. That's not real life. It's not real life. And it's great for you if someone's telling you you got a 4.75 GPA. That's not the real world. 4.0 is supposed to be the ceiling, okay? And I can tell you, I didn't even flirt with that at Harris County High School, but theoretically, if I took care of business in the classroom, I should have been able to acquire 4.0 and no better than 4.0. Kalen DeBoer, A plus. He's 4.0 across the board. What could he possibly have done better? He comes to Washington. They're four and eight. He comes to Washington. They're a they're non-factor. He comes to Washington, and it's not like he came in there and he inherited a bunch of five-star talent that someone had been underachieving with. He inherited a sneaky good roster, but no one looked at Washington and said, there they are, the Georgia Bulldogs of the Northwest, the University of Washington. The only thing those programs had in common was they have canine mascots. That's the beginning and end of it. And Kalen DeBoer goes and just wins 11 games in year one, beats Oregon in year one, and does so with Michael Penix at quarterback. And it's very easy for someone to look at Michael Penix after the season and say, oh, well, of course Kalen DeBoer won more games. He had Michael Penix. Oh, no, no, no. You don't get to do that. You don't get to do that unless you celebrated the acquisition when they got him out of the portal. But no one did, or very few of you did. I didn't. I'm including myself here. I didn't. You know why? Because Michael Penix has been injury-prone his entire career, and he's been a turnover machine his entire career. And when Washington got him, quite frankly, I thought they were bringing him in to add depth, and I thought ultimately one of the other guys up there was going to win the job. That was my first reaction when they brought him in. And instead, listen to this overnight turnaround. In 2021, the University of Washington averaged 21.5 points per game. They were 108th in the country in points per game. One year later, they were seventh in America in points per game. They added about 18 points per game on average to their final score from last year to this year. Jesse, what was it you told me? They added something like over 200 yards per game on average offensively. Just insane numbers, so much so that it looks like there should be a red squiggly under a lot of the stats they put up this year. They look like errors. They look like someone else's stats accidentally got copied and pasted over into the Washington spreadsheet. Nope, that's really what Kalen DeBoer did with Michael Pennett's quarterback in year one. Phenomenal job could not possibly think any more highly of what he did up there. And as a result, you look at what he did, you look at what Chip Kelly has started to do, I think really leveraging the portal well at UCLA. You've got Lanning there at Oregon. You've got Smith over there at Oregon State. Look up and down the coast in the Pac-12. Look at the quarterback position this year alone in the Pac-12. You know you're going to get a solid product out of Whittingham at Utah. Cam Rising, Jesse's Doppelganger's back. You know what you're going to get from Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley at USC. Uh, Jed Fish has taken Arizona no place but up. Kenny Dillingham, very interesting acquisition there at Arizona State. Uh, the Pac-12 is getting really good, really good, hopefully sustainably good. But this upcoming year, if you want to be ahead of the curve, save the Pac-12 jokes. The ones that you may have accurately been able to use two years ago may not necessarily work this upcoming year. So they're, they're already playing better football out there. You could have a really good year for that conference coming up. Such a good year, they may cannibalize themselves right in front of God and everyone. They may do that, but it won't be because they're playing inferior football out there for the first time in in quite a while. They're watching us in Camilla, Georgia, League City, Texas, and Clarksville, Tennessee. And boy, do I appreciate that, and we all appreciate it. Our numbers are uh, pretty insane right now. What'd you just say, Jesse? Oh, um, well, that wasn't Jesse, it was Colin. Could I ask you to do a quick favor? Uh, Could I ask the nearly 1,800 of you who are watching live, minus 380 who have already done it, to click the thumbs up button, click the like button? Pretend that the power grid depends on it. You know, we have to find a way. Probably we just need to give away cash to people randomly in exchange. I believe we call that bribery. Who cares? I do it here all the time, off the record. So uh, yeah, like the video and subscribe to the channel. That's all I need you to do. We go back into the mailbag and take another sip from the chalice. Hmm. I um. I spilled some of the mysterious liquid today, and it never even spilled out of the cup. Very little chance that's healthy for me. But you know what? I can see, and I don't have light sensitivity, so we're we're on the road to recovery. If you know, you know. Okay. Uh, let's continue here, Bradley. Uh, not the one that we hang out with, Bradley hit us up and he said, umpires are being potentially phased out of baseball, not having to call balls and strikes in the near future. Do you think the same thing will happen to sideline and goal line judges, college station, Texas? And what I did is I took this question and I just reimagined it, artistic licensing, creative freedom, whatever you want to call that. And I just, I pretended Bradley asked me, Hey, what kind of changes should be made to officiating, period, in college football? Several, Bradley. Several. This is one of probably the most fun, play-along-ish questions on this show's history. Because every one of you has got an opinion on this. Every one of you, at some point in a given Saturday, yells at your TV or is sitting in a crowd somewhere and you yell at the field. And sometimes it's not even because a call was bad sometimes it's just over the stupidity of the way we still officiate this sport make no mistake plenty of bad calls but there there's some things that just from a procedural standpoint are dumb and i'll tell you the first one spotting the football in 2023 should not require chains it should not require the naked eye that should have been done away with a long time ago We just claim to have picked up a radar signal from some galaxy 90 billion light years away. And we can't figure out whether someone picked up a first down or not on planet earth, 30 yards away from where we're standing. It's not that we can't, it's that we refuse to. Picture this. I didn't plan on using this as a prop because it's a basketball. Just pretend for a second, if you will, this is a football and you're going to have to use theater of the mind. If you're on podcast things really soft. Um, Hey, what stops me from microchipping this entire seam? Just put a micro put a, put a laser strip that is, that is computerized in this entire se- So basically imagine these are the laces of the football or imagine that this is the front end and this is the back end. If I were to insert chips into this ball, uh, which costs like $4.99 a piece. And then I also lay electric grid over the field. I don't have to worry about spotting a football anymore. The only thing I have to worry about is when forward progress is stopped. Because if a guy has either, either touched the ground or stopped forward progress, but then reaches out afterwards, that strip doesn't know that forward progress has been stopped. But when we're talking about spotting a ball, and you think about the, the amount of egregious miss spots on footballs and then we got a chain crew that comes out that also has no business on football fields in 2023 if you want it for optics if you want it for old times sake i'm fine with that but it needs to be cosmetic we 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 had an nfl playoff game that had to stop the other day because the chains broke i want you to imagine showing up on earth in 2023 and you're looking at a football game saying why has the action stopped oh the chains broke what chains? What's a cha- is, that, is that metaphorical? What is a chain? No, no, no. It, it's actually a thing that connects two sticks that we use to measure how long 10 yards is. In what year? 2023. Are you high? Yeah, pretty much. That's the only explanation at this point. So if you were to invent the game today, you would do all of these things. You would never in a million years have 22 bodies piled up and still say that a line judge standing over here, 15, 20 yards away, is just gonna be able to eyeball where the football should be. And then, if it's close, we're gonna take two guys, ridiculously dressed, and they're gonna be holding onto sticks if they're not broken, and they're gonna run them out there, and then they're gonna find out whether the yard to gain has been made. And then if you go back to certain bowl games, infamous in nature, in the past, sometimes it doesn't even matter if you picked up the first down. Fortunately, you may have Jadavion Clowney to clean that mistake up, but you don't always have a Clowney. You know, you don't always have the review process. Speaking of the review process, why are we going under hoods? Why? Why is an official on the field having to take a step in a review process? Now, producer Jesse tells me that our friends in the Sunday game have finally gotten their act together, And they don't even have the on-field officials do anything. They just review something real-time, either in the booth in the stadium or in New York, and they just let them know in their ear whether to overturn a call or not. There was never a reason for officials to go over, and then they they pull the hood out, and they go under the hood, and, what are you doing? Because someone up in a booth is watching it anyway. It takes time, and it's really boring, And you're trying to speed up the pace of play. You guys are out here talking about keeping the clock running on on first downs and out-of-bounds plays. And I'm like, how about the combined six and a half minutes that you're wasting on reviewing every other play? How about do it in real time? I know when I'm watching the replay on TV, sometimes minutes ahead of an obvious call that's coming. That's time wasted. I would change that. I would also completely strip the goal line. This goes back to spotting of the ball i would comp- i watch it happen i know a lot of you don't get to see this when we go into stadiums like if i'm at a cbs game you'll walk in and you will be there before the gates open to the public so you'll go the first thing you'll do is you go find jenny dell and you'll hug her and you'll say how are you doing and then you will ask if it rains if you can use her umbrella from the cbs crew and then once you got that out of the way you watch the cbs tech guys and they cut a strip right into the grass, if it's natural surface. They actually cut into the grass, and then they take a wire that connects to that pylon cam, and they run the wire into the ground over to whatever it is that connects to, and then they kind of fold the grass back down. Ground screws love that, by the way. We've all, my point is we've already got a strip, ironically, that runs from the pylon out of bounds over to a tech box somewhere, but we can't run one across the goal line that interacts with a football to let us know whether a ball has crossed the plane before your knee is down. And my question is why? This isn't even like baseball, by the way. If you took this call out of officials' hands, they'd probably appreciate it. You're not taking holding calls and offside. There's still plenty of purposes for officials to be on a football field. There's no way with the technology we have, that they should be having to make those calls with their naked eye. And then, as is usually the case down near the goal line, there are too many bodies around the football. How many times do you see a situation where you can't technically see the ball break the plane, but common sense tells you with the way the bodies are contorted that the football is somewhere in there and it's clearly broken the plane, but you don't have a clear shot and it was ruled down at the half-yard line on the field, so the call stands. Next play, fumble, where did I see that? Very, very recently. And uh, my point is, that should be changed. It should be changed tomorrow. But i tell you the one that gets under my skin the most is, uh, well, two of them. Number one, targeting. Because still, 2023 and counting, no one can define it. As it is enforced, no one can define it. I know there's a rule book that tells me what targeting is. I just don't necessarily think it syncs up with the way the game's officiated. And uh, the other thing is, I understand why I do not have access to CIA officials. I understand why I don't have access to classified documents. I get it. I get that there are some things that are not my business, and it's in the best interest of national security for us to be kept in the dark. I just don't think the outcomes of football games and the offside call that was or wasn't on third and four, late third quarter, Fits that description and so my question is why do college kids have to be made available to media and their coaches have to be made available to media and yet the guys who are literally tasked with enforcing the rules of the game don't have to answer for anything that's the tap of my pen I await an answer from the head of officiating at any one of these conferences I've asked this question several times I've actually had interaction with two league offices, with heads of officiating in two league offices, but all I've ever gotten is boilerplate language. No one has ever told me why we don't get answers on some of the biggest calls, football or basketball. You you don't get answers. The best you can do sometimes is Monday morning, the league office tells you in retrospect, Hey, that game you lost Saturday, you shouldn't have lost it. Now, it's still going to count as a loss, of course, because we screwed it up. You're going to have to bear the burden of it because no one's going to remember that we screwed up when it comes time to give you your playoff spot or your, your bowl bit at the end of the year. And some of your coaches out there have incentives in their contracts for winning certain numbers of games. No, 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 no. All that, you're screwed on, but it's kind of our fault. The end. See you this Saturday where the same team is going to officiate your game again. What can you do? You have no recourse. As a coach, you have no recourse. I I was talking to someone really specific who was laying out for me the process week to week of cutting up tape and going through it and ISOing plays that they want to send to the league office and the responses they get back. And, And sometimes it's over a dozen. Yeah, we missed that one. Well, why don't I hear that? This is an entertainment business. That's what this is. You make the money you make as a conference not because you are providing a public service. You make the money you make as a conference, whether it's the ACC or the Big Ten or the SEC, because you are providing entertainment. And a lot of people bet on this stuff too. And don't turn your nose up at that because that's making you money. And in turn, you basically give a giant middle finger to him when one of the most important mechanisms in that form of entertainment you're not given any access to you don't get any answers from it whatsoever like like imagine if netflix handled your credit card information that way it's it's really none of your business actually it is you're kind of supposed to be serving me not the other way around i don't serve you you're supposed to be serving me and coaches say the same thing this isn't strictly just a fan complaint coaches look and say Are are we going to get an answer? How many times do you hear a coach at a post-game press conference and they're asked, hey, uh, did you get an explanation on that call? And they just, they're they're handcuffed. Because number one, no, they didn't get an answer or an explanation. Number two, if they question it, they're going to get fined uh, because they they do have to answer publicly and bear a public burden for a responsibility for uh, their actions. It's officials. It's only officials that don't. Now, I will tell you, Uh, as I've explained before, there are two sort of very thin veils that leagues hide behind to explain why their officials aren't made public. Number one is, well, they're not full-time employees. Number two, they're not paid a lot of money. To which my response is, pay them more and make them full-time employees. The end. Do Do you know how many zeros are on the end of these media rights deals you guys just signed? Even without the media rights deals, Do you have any idea how much money flows through these conferences? You're going to tell me that you don't think officiating, the actual enforcement of your rules is important enough to warrant either full-time employment or at the very least raising the standard to where in exchange, these people do have to give an answer for their actions? No, No one even believes that. It's almost an insult when they tell you, well, these guys, they've got regular jobs Monday through Thursday. They fly into these these venues, out of the kindness of their heart, now they get a little stipend, but they're really doing it for the love of the game. I got a lot of other folks out there that are qualified too, that would do it for the love of the game and also happily answer your questions afterwards. It, mm, I could say a lot more now. Those of you in the, in the high school officiating circuit out there who have ever tried to dip your toes into the waters of college officiating, understand How crooked those ladders are when you try and climb them I hope I haven't been unclear there either Uh, yeah so good old boy Network if you've never heard that term before you're looking at it when you're looking at some of the folks who officiate college football on Saturday now I have nothing against officials sounds like I'm trying to demonize them I don't have a problem with officials I got a problem with the way officiating happens especially on the back end because you never get an answer so Bradley I hope you're happy Uh, Those are some of the things that I would change about college football officiating. Appreciate you guys being tuned in if you're tuned in, by the way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, uh, I had another question because, as I said, we opened the mailbag today. Randy asked, hey, outside of Georgia and Bama and Michigan and Ohio State, which team is the most likely to rise Next, to elite status and compete for the national title. Now, I've got to take exception with something that Randy said here. I'll do it in a second. Uh, the first one that came to mind, and these are teams that theoretically could do this, is, of course, USC comes to mind. Obviously, the biggest obstacle standing in their way is they need way better defensive talent. I mean, way better. And certainly, they're, they're in the process of doing that. They are at the very least one class, if not two classes and portal when I say class, I mean recruiting plus portal. At the very least, one to two classes away from that. Uh, but I don't, have, I don't think I ever have to worry about the caliber of quarterback they're going to have. I don't have to worry about offensive skill talent. Um, I, I still fully believe there is a Lincoln-Riley National Championship year somewhere out there. It just hasn't happened yet. But as we always say, there's a big difference between cannot and have not. So USC certainly... If we're if we're looking down the road and there's this blank and a question mark and someone's joining tier 1 of college football, it's a guarantee we just have to guess who. I think it would be foolish to overlook USC. This isn't me saying 2023 is the year it happens, although maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I would go USC, but I want to go back to the question for just a second. He said outside of and then he listed some teams and I'm assuming he's insinuating the teams he listed are already elite. And he said Bama and Georgia got no problem with that. He said Ohio State. And um, for, for, for sake of argument, they're up there. But he said Michigan too. And I don't think Michigan's elite yet. I'm talking about over a sustained period, not prisoner of the moment. I don't think Michigan's elite. I think they're knocking on the door. I think they're right there probably. You know, they're on the tarmac and the, the pilots come over the PA and they've said, hey, we're cleared. We're first in line for takeoff. But I don't think that they're on the They're on the runway yet. I don't think they're off the ground yet. And the reason I don't think that is because don't you have to have at least won a playoff game to be considered elite? Or or have we lowered the standard for what that word means? Not on this show. So you could have a good argument with me about Ohio State too, but I'm looking at Michigan right now because there are still things Ohio State's done over the past few years that Michigan hasn't even done. But they're really close. The only thing that I think holds them back See, they're in the really, really good category now. The only thing that I think would hold them back from entering that elite category is just roster talent. And I'm not looking at the team right now. I got to be very, very specific with what I'm saying. They got a really good team coming back. Uh, And I I thought they were plenty good enough this year. I, I truthfully think they choked away a golden opportunity in that semifinal game. Just choked away a golden opportunity. But it happened. And we can't change that roster talent, I don't think held them back. But what I am thinking about is as good as they are at evaluation and development, how different it would be if their overall roster talent was another notch up. If they were recruiting top 10 classes instead of top 20 classes, and my my thought kept going back to in that TCU game, even as bad as it went for them. What would adding one or two more elite athletes on that field potentially mean for Michigan? In other words, bail-you-out type players. Because there have been games, we've watched Georgia and Bama both do it, where they they have not played a game where they're really worthy of winning, but they got so many good athletes running around that if you give them enough time to run around, they make things happen. Michigan's not quite at that level. And what I look at right now over the past two recruiting cycles is not only have they not been top five-ish in recruiting, that's hard to do, they haven't finished top two in the Big Ten in the past two recruiting cycles. And I think they should be better than that. And I think to become a perennially elite team, they need to be better than that. Now, you should theoretically be seeing a big bump off of back-to-back Big Ten championships and back-to-back playoff appearances. And there's a school of thought out there. I don't really know if this is true or not. But there's a school of thought that Jim Harbaugh's flirtation with the NFL in back-to-back years has maybe dampened a little bit, some of that momentum they otherwise would have gotten. Again, I don't know if that's true. That's a really, really granular thing that's hard to prove, but uh, Michigan's, they're very, very close. So I'm nitpicking right now. But Michigan is certainly a team that should be in this conversation. LSU is a team that should be in this conversation. What separates them? Now they're a little bit further away. Remember, we're talking about the word elite, and they overachieve this year, certainly, but to be elite, they also need to stack some more roster talent. They need to stack a couple of more classes on top of each other. They need offensive balance. They've got to be able to run the ball a lot better than they have the last several years. That's just upgrading offensive skill. Uh, They need more defensive depth, and I think they're well on their way to doing it. They are recruiting the way that you should. They're probably a couple of years away when you're stacking those kind of classes on top of each other. But if we're asking... Who could be elite in the next couple of years? All the arrows are pointing in the right direction, at least for them. And some of the concerns that some people had, I'm not one of them, but the the concerns that some people had, that Brian Kelly, one of his secret struggles was going to be recruiting, not happening. Not happening. They got the number one portal class. They're top 10 in recruiting. So they're going to have the players. They're going to have them. And, And I've watched Brian Kelly, we all have, for a long time. He's not an underachiever. It is, a, it is a great big myth that he underachieved at Notre Dame. I think he overachieved. The only time the guy was losing was when he faced more talented teams. That's essentially the only time. I, I thought some of the criticism of, well, well he, he loses in the playoff all the time. He was in the playoff is the point. He had Notre Dame in the playoff. They're not supposed to beat Clemson. They're not supposed to beat Alabama. They're not as good as them. It, it would be an upset if he were to beat him. Anyway, that's the past. The future is he's at a place where he can match athletes in those future matchups with that caliber opponent. So I would look at LSU. Um, we also have another submission here because I was kind and generous. Good Natalie Merchant uh, album, by the way, or song. I was kind and generous enough to seek input from the peanut gallery earlier today. And uh, so the Fighting Jesses of Penn State have made their way onto the list and I have been given some talking points. And that's not necessarily saying that I disagree with what I'm about to say. Um, I'm just saying, how should I put this? Jesse does have the power to take the show off the air. There is technically a button he could press in there right now and we could disappear. And, and so I'm going to just read what he said. Um, Penn State returns all three starting linebackers this year. Uh, They have six offensive linemen returning with five-plus games starting experience. Is that right so far, Jesse? Yes, right so far. Uh, They've got the best one-two running back combo in the Big Ten. I think Michigan would argue with that. Uh, Abdul Carter is going to warrant Defensive Player of the Year consideration. And it's Oller's season. This concludes the list of points that Producer Jesse wanted me to make about Penn State and how bright the future is there. Now, for the record, I'm kind of all in on Penn State, but I did want to read that as more a prepared ransom note statement than just my own unique thoughts. Also, I think we should mention Oregon here. Uh, Recruiting is heavily woven into any segment like this, and Oregon is recruiting as well as anyone is on the West Coast right now. Line of scrimmage talent is what they need to continue to upgrade. I say continue because they're already doing it. Uh, we've chronicled what they're bringing in on the defensive line via every acquisition method imaginable. Also, the offense, I, I, or not offense, defense has to improve there. You know, we were talking about Brent Venables when he came to Oklahoma, and you said, if nothing else, defense will be better this year. Well, when Dan Landing goes to Oregon, you think, well, if nothing else, defense is going to be really good this year. They weren't as good as I thought they'd be on that side of the ball. Now, what you don't know is what they learned about themselves, and I'm j- I'm not just talking about what the coaching staff learned about their roster. I'm talking about what the coaching staff learned about the coaching staff. So you never know, you know, year to year, whether there may not be some moves or decisions or changes in philosophy, subtle changes. That have a big impact and it's just it's it's a lot more than just did they get this player or that player so i got oregon penn state lsu michigan and usc those are the programs that i would look at if you told me someone else is about to join the elite table in college football that's where i'd go you know what time it is some might think it's time to end the show but it's not quite yet but i appreciate you guys being tuned in let me make sure i put a little message there in the chat we're still not at a thousand likes I'm not going to cry about it. Um, Bold predictions in August accumulated, and we are recapping those bold predictions in January. And it's a lot more fun this time of year (laughs) because I swing and miss all the time. That's not fun for me to talk about. But when you guys swing and miss, um, charitably, it's fun for me to talk about. Let's take a look at five more of them tonight. This one was fun. This one was spirited in the preseason. The Clemson Tigers, said Adam, will return to the top and reclaim the national championship from Anderson, South Carolina. This was, look, I put a seven on this on the boldness scale. And the reason is because Clemson did have the fourth best odds to win the title in the preseason. They were at plus 1,000. And we also knew that they had a workable schedule. However, at no point in this season did this seem like a, a realistic possibility. And that's even after they started 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8-0. They started 8-0. They were still playing some, some leaky football. They, they beat Wake by 6. That's a game that really could have gone either way. Uh, they, they won that game at Florida State, and they won against Syracuse, but then they got pasted by Notre Dame. And That's really, I thought, the exposure game. But even before that, quarterback play wasn't where it needed to be. Um, So at no point did I feel like this prediction was ever going to hit. Also, they finished outside the top 30 in virtually every offensive statistic that we care about. So as much as the preseason odds said, that's not that bold, it ended up being pretty bold. Now, is anyone ready to make that prediction for this upcoming year? We'll see. Next up, I don't necessarily know how we were supposed to measure this one, but we'll give it a try anyway. Uh, James said the SEC will not be viewed as the best conference in 2022. The Big Ten will reign. Now, the, the, the Big Ten put two playoff teams in the four-team college football playoff. I still think James missed here. I still think the SEC was the best conference in college football this year. And I could use either argument, to be honest with you. You know, sometimes people like to use bowl records, which I think is ludicrous because bowls are not equally seeded. Uh, so it doesn't really matter when the SEC 5 plays the ACC's 2. We're not getting a, a heads-up comparative analysis of conference strength. But having said that, I, I could just tell you that I thought, top to bottom, the SEC had more high-caliber teams. But if you wanted to do the old bowl argument, I could tell you at Georgia, we all know what they did. And Georgia completely and totally annihilated TCU They played for a conference championship. Alabama played a conference champion in the Sugar Bowl, annihilated them. Clemson, a conference champion, goes down to Tennessee. Purdue played in their conference championship game. And LSU did all sorts of unspeakable things to them. So I could even use the bowl protocol argument here. I think the SEC, you could call it a little bit down if you wanted to. I still think the SEC, they finished with, what, Uh, three of the top six programs in the country. But see, the Big Ten finished with three of the top seven. So the Big Ten was very good. I just think when you got past that first layer there and we were to compare the next layer, that's when it falls off a little bit. That's when you'd have a little issue. The Big Ten was a very good conference this year. The the bigger question is how wide was the gap between two and three? That would be the question. Uh, Next up, boy, this one's painful. Could be the Sarah McLaughlin special of predictions here. The prediction from Anthony is pretty lengthy. I'm just going to save you some time. Auburn wins nine games in 2022. Friends, um, if you add what Auburn wins this year with what, ooh, that was a big hiccup. With what they won last year, yeah, they'll probably win nine games. This was not happening in 2022. So Auburn went five and seven. Pretty well documented. They beat Mercer. They beat San Jose State. I can't believe it, but somehow they beat Missouri. They beat A of course they beat AM. Hoop's didn't. And they beat Western Kentucky. And outside of that, it was it was kind of splatter city. Except that there's this weird stat. You know, if I were to tell you Auburn had five games this year where they scored under twenty points, you would say, Gross. Well, there's five of the losses. Nope. Two of those were wins. Two of those games, they won and didn't even score 20 points. So it was a very weird season there. Of course, Brian Harson got fired, and it was very, very much a lost season after that. Uh, there's not much more to say there. Auburn did not come close to winning nine games. Next up, this one somehow, somehow it still came close, which is the nature of the Big Ten West. Uh, Ryan said Iowa will make it back to the Big Ten championship despite the difficult... <laughs> Difficult schedule is very relative here. But despite the difficult schedule from College Station, Texas, if you think that Auburn offense was bad, we had the Iowa Hawkeyes to counter it. Iowa sees Auburn have five games where they score 20 or less, and they say, watch this. And they have seven of them. They only played 12 regular season. Uh, They had seven of them where they scored 20 points or less. Managed to score 21 in the bowl game. Um, they were the favorite, even with all that ineptitude, their division was so average. They were the favorite to go to the conference championship game, entering the last week of the season. And then they lost to Nebraska and then it was Purdue that ended up going show so, the big 10 West, your champion of the big 10 West was Purdue with a six and three conference record. They ended up eight and six on the season. That was your division champion. Uh, last up here, this one I found interesting. I was intrigued by it, but I thought it was extremely, extremely bold. Mike said the AAC will have three teams undefeated going into the final week in October, and at least one will be in the top ten. This did not happen. In fact, they had zero undefeated teams going into that week. Tulane was seven and one. Cincy was six and one, UCF was 5-2. and two. At this point in the season, there were only six undefeated teams in the entire AP Top 25. And there was no, forget the AAC, AAC there was no conference in America at that point that had three undefeated teams. So Mike was just set up for failure uh, from the outset. I put a 9.5 on that one. That one was going to be really, really tough. Vintage AAC would have a hard time doing that. Okay, what did we mix in tonight? We mixed in some Fleetwood Mac. We got a a healthy history lesson in WrestleMania. I used a pillow basketball to explain how officiating needs to be overhauled in this country. And we did it all in less than an hour and 10 minutes. So I appreciate you guys a whole heck of a lot. We'll be back in like 48 hours. Because why? We do not take an all season on this show. So for producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Take care. We'll see you Thursday night. Until then, God bless. producers matt damon and ben affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band youtube kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on paramount plus go to paramount plus to try it free terms apply